Do you schedule and host events in the Jewish community? Conferences, webinars, local events? Please consider adding your events to Jcast Network's newest project, the Jewish Communal Events Calendar. Don't schedule events, but know someone who does? Invite them to add their events. If we all work together, we can create another wonderful resource for the Jewish community. Visit our calendar and post your events at jcastnetwork.org slash jcpc. You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit mikenopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hello, everybody. Good evening. Nice to see you. Uh, we have a lot of ground to cover tonight uh, and, uh, and a lot of text uh, to get through. Uh, I apologize for that. One of the, um, for, for those of you who are just joining us, um, uh, we're, we're engaged in the study of theology, uh, which is um, uh, a field that involves a lot of letters and a lot of words. Um, and uh, it's, it's you know, really a, a, a field of the written word. Uh, so the only way to really study it is to actually study what these thinkers uh, said and not to just kind of have a, a brief sort of overview of, of, of what they said, to like actually encounter uh, their words firsthand. So we have a, a lot of uh, text to go through tonight, but um, if we get through it all, fantastic. If we don't, that's also great. Uh, we can uh, pause, explore, question, debate um, as we go through. We have, and you'll, you'll see that I handed out a, uh, a, a rubric or a metric that we've been using uh, uh, to, uh, to kind of keep track and, and evaluate what people have, have said. Uh, since this is um, really a, a class on, the, on, on how we think about God, um, how we engage in sort of um, uh, rational thought about the nature of God, um, we're holding up all of our theories to the, the lens of, uh, of, of reason, um, which means that we need to be able to evaluate it along uh, criteria uh, past, oh, I like this, I don't like this. Um, we want to think about it uh, more, more objectively, uh, more logically. So uh, at the bottom of this chart here, there, there are four categories uh, that uh, were suggested by uh, uh, Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove, who's a contemporary rabbi and theologian, uh, for how to evaluate theology, Jewish theology specifically. And he says that you can evaluate it, you really ought to evaluate it along the lines of authenticity. In other words, uh, uh, does this strike you as an authentically Jewish way of looking at God or thinking about God? Um, right? Does it, uh, uh, does it comport with what you believe the Torah teaches about God and Jewish tradition, etc. So authenticity is an important one. Uh, coherence, in other words, is it like internally logical? Does it does it make does it make sense in its own internal logic, or are there contradictions within it? Contemporaneity. This is an important one uh, because theology really is uh, not so much what do people think about God, but what can we think about God right now? In other words, you know, in in light of you know, all, all that we know about the world and all that we experience in the world uh, is this way of understanding God uh, helpful or useful or logical to us right now. And now that, that we have to sort of tweak that contemporaneity a little bit because we're not looking at 
extremely contemporary theologians. Uh, the first the theologian we looked at was a rabbi named um, Samson Raphael Hirsch, who lived in the late 19th century. Uh, but then we moved on to more contemporary thinkers. So Soloveitchik, Joseph Soloveitchik, we looked at last time. And he is uh, a 20th century, uh, really was prominent in the, in, in the mid to late 20th century uh, theologian. And uh, this today we're, we're going to look at uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel, uh, who was also prominent in the mid to late 20th century. And Mordechai Kaplan, who was also prominent at, at about the same time as Heschel. So these are um, not exactly contemporary thinkers, but they're not ancient thinkers either. Uh, and so, obviously, a lot has happened in the world since the time of uh, Soloveitchik, Heschel, and Kaplan. Uh, but, uh, but, but still, uh, their thinking is really, um, uh, even today among contemporary uh, theologians, uh, their thinking still remains very influential. Um, and especially Soloveitchik, Heschel, and Kaplan. Soloveitchik in the Orthodox world, Heschel... Uh, Heschel and Kaplan uh, is interesting. I, I was talking with um, Rabbi Asher uh, from Beth Israel. We, we, we learn together every week. And uh, I was talking to him about this class and, and, uh, and saying, talking to him about Heschel. And, uh, and, and I claimed Heschel as a, um, as a conservative Jewish thinker and theologian. And he said that he always thought of Heschel as an Orthodox thinker and theologian. I'll explain why that is in a minute. But um, so it's, it's, Heschel stands in a lot of camps. Uh, and so does Kaplan. Uh, Kaplan, as some of you know, is the founder of uh, Reconstructionist Judaism, uh, but, uh, um, but uh, was for many years uh, a very uh, influential part of the conservative movement and still in large uh, in large part is is influential among conservative uh, thinkers maybe not uh, a lot of people sort of um, uh, disavow their connection to him but you can kind of see the um, the threads of logic and the threads of thinking moving from from Kaplan on uh, so um, so we're looking at these thinkers because they're really, uh, even among thinkers today, these are really the, the people that all contemporary theology is, uh, is, is really uh, based in in a lot of ways. Okay. Uh, we're also looking at these thinkers because well, I wanted to kind of uh, span a, a spectrum of, of thinkers from Orthodox um, on the right to, uh, to now Reconstructionism uh, on the left. Um, and it's also, I think, important to note and we said this at the very beginning, uh, that it's very hard and rare to find uh, a theologian uh, too far to the right uh, because um, uh, uh, in, in large part because of the <clears throat> contemporaneity question. Uh, people uh, very far on the right uh, don't really uh, care about whether or not their theology uh, is useful to people today. They don't really live in today. Uh, and, um, and then on the other end, too, um, it's not uh, easy to find uh, theologies of the radical Jewish left um, because uh, for some of them, they're not really thinking about God altogether. Uh, but, but for others, I think you have issues of authenticity and, and communal acceptance, et cetera. So we're looking sort of in the, in the gray middle uh, from the right to the left. Uh, and then the fourth criteria is communal acceptance. In other words, um, does this, even after all the other three criteria, does this strike you as something that uh, Jews would resonate with? 
Jews today uh, would resonate with and which Jews and why. Uh, we also, on the top of the page, um, are different kind of areas uh, that are relevant for thinking about theology, right? So what is the the God depicted in the, in, in a particular theology have to do with creation or revelation or, or redemption. Redemption is going to factor in very strongly in, um, in, in, in Kaplan tonight. Um, uh, God, what's the nature of God? What's the nature of the Torah? Uh, and what's the relationship between God and uh, the Jewish people? And, um, that's what Israel means there. Okay, so the, that's the, that's the uh, way to sort of help keep track of what people are saying and to evaluate uh, these thinkers. Okay. Any questions so far or comments so far? Okay. We're going to look first at Abraham Joshua Heschel. Um, so Heschel uh, was uh, born to a uh, Hasidic dynasty, um, a descendant of a, a, a great Hasidic rabbi named uh, Avram Yeshua Heschel of Apt. Um, uh, and uh, so he gets his name uh, from there, was from a very early age. Uh, in that community, noted uh, to be a, a prodigy, you know, would, would be stood on tables to recite passages of uh, Gemara when he was, you know, six years old. Um, and, uh, and so he was very clear what path he was destined for. Uh, and uh, it, at, at a young age, he actually um, uh, sort of uh, bucked his community by deciding to pursue academic studies in Berlin. Uh, and so he, he studied philosophy in, uh, in Germany uh, in the 1920s uh, and, and became uh, uh, very uh, influenced by an approach to philosophy known as phenomenology. Phenomenology means um, uh, the study of phenomena uh, as, um, as, as like uh, real entities, as real things, right? So it's not, uh, it's not like... Uh, uh, Existentialism, which we looked at before, which is that, um, uh, which is that uh, uh, being in the world precedes uh, any essence of things. Phenomenology actually kind of looks at things from the from from almost the opposite point of view that there's there's an essence to the world, right? That you just have to experience, right? So um, so Heschel was very taken by that. He studied. Uh, he, he was obviously already a rabbi uh, and now a, a philosopher and theologian uh, at the eve of World War II. Uh, and was uh, plucked from uh, Europe at the eve of, uh, of the Holocaust by um, the Hebrew Union College, which is the Reform Seminary uh, at the time in Cincinnati. It still has a campus in Cincinnati, but at the time I think it was only in Cincinnati. Uh, and uh, was brought to Hebrew Union College to be a professor of philosophy there. Uh, was, was there for a few years uh, and then was... Uh, um, then moved to the Jewish Theological Seminary, uh, which is the flagship conservative seminary in New York City, uh, and uh, spent the rest of his career at, uh, at, at JTS. Um, that's sort of why he is uh, generally associated with the conservative movement, um, even though he is uh, certainly orthodox in, uh, in, in upbringing and in approach and in disposition. Um, uh, you know, pray in, in Orthodox synagogues and things like that. So that's why it's, I think, uh, uh, fair to consider him Orthodox and not conservative, um, but was extremely influential um, among uh, conservative rabbis, both but during his time. people brought him over, right? Yes. He never really took to the reform movement, and the reform movement never really took to him. 
Yes, he was. He always was. He always felt indebted to uh, the reform movement for for that, um, and uh, and so became very influential to to um, a generation of of conservative rabbis. And then then after his death, to the generation past them, um, and. Uh, uh, the other thing that's I think worth noting about Heschel is uh, that um, as a, as an extension of his uh, research and his theology, uh, his his uh, his doctoral work was on the prophets, and you can read his book called The Prophets. Um, and so he really uh, um, the the prophets, like the you know the windows in our sanctuary. Um, so Heschel uh, was very. Uh, influenced by what what he called uh, prophetic thinking, right? And he saw that that uh, prophets were um, a really good representation of of uh, of of the encounter between God and human beings. Um, uh, that God seeks out human beings to uh, to to live out His will and and, and spread His word, um, and that uh, and that the call God offers to human beings is primarily. Um, uh, uh, um, political in nature. Um, it's about how we uh, construct society and how we uh, uh, treat each other. So he became, um, especially later in his career, very active in um, in, in social co- in American social causes. He was very active in the civil rights movement in the fifties and sixties. Um, uh, knew Martin Luther King, marched with Martin Luther King uh, in in Selma. Uh, was involved in the anti uh, uh, anti war movement uh, in the in, in the late sixties and seventies, um, and and always saw those activities as an extension of his theology. And you'll probably see some of that in what we look at tonight. Okay. So any questions so far? Any comments so far? All right. Let's let's take a look. Okay. Um, Let's while we go around the room a little bit, you'll see what, uh, like I said, there's there's a good chunk of material to get through, but we'll go through, we'll get through what we can. Maybe we'll skip some of what I have, and feel free to sort of interrupt with your thoughts or your questions as we go through. Okay, and I'll and I'll interrupt too. Start movements. Moments of insight. Yeah. But how can we ever reach an understanding of Him who is beyond the mystery? How do we go from intimations of the divine to a sense for the realness of God? certainty of the realness of God comes about as a response of the whole person to the mystery and transcendence of living. As a response, it is an act of raising from the depths of the mind an ontological presupposition which makes that response intellectually understandable. The meaning and verification of the ontological presupposition Ontological presupposition. Are yeah. in rare moments of insight. Okay, let's just pause there for a second. So, the first thing to to uh, recognize about Heschel uh, is his writing style. Okay, he writes in he writes prose that that is basically poetry. Um, so you have to kind of uh, uh, decode and decipher what what he's saying. Uh, what he's saying here. I I read somewhere that he that he would write like on scraps of paper, and then he'd have his grad students arrange them <laughs> into uh, uh, what looked like a logical order and a logical form, um, because he was much more of a chassid in some ways than a theologian, uh, and the theology uh, and philosophy came later. Um, uh, so, and it, and it also speaks to uh, his perspective on God. So he, what he, 
his premise in this initial um, in this initial statement is that there is a dimension of reality beyond that which humans can actually experience or comprehend or understand. Right? There's a mystery out there, right? And there's a mystery. Right? He lives in an age of science. He's not anti-science. Uh, he's, he uh, opens in uh, the, the opening passage of his seminal work, which is called God in Search of Man, which we'll look at, uh, look at a little bit of in, in just a few moments. He says that it's, uh, that it's customary to blame science for the decline of religion in our time, uh, but it's not science we should blame, it's religion. Uh, uh, so essentially what he, and he's a religious, because religion has become dull, oppressive, and insipid. Uh, and, uh, uh, and so what he means by that is that um, there, there's, uh, um, it, he, he doesn't reject science, um, but he also says that science uh, doesn't, and can't contain all the answers about reality. Uh, and so there's a mystery beyond, uh, uh, beyond what, what, what's knowable. And he says that uh, fundamental to the human experience and the human condition is uh, wanting to know that mystery, right? Or, and is, the, and is uh, kind of standing in awe of that mystery and asking questions about that mystery. In some ways, it's not so different than what Soloveitchik said. Uh, if you remember from two weeks ago, Soloveitchik uh, talks about um, there's an, a dimension of, of the human being that's constantly pursuing God. And every time you kind of get closer to God, God becomes more elusive, right? So here you have a similar kind of thing, that there is a mystery beyond, uh, 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 beyond what, what's knowable. Uh, and so in, insofar as God is mysterious and unknowable, um, uh, how do we understand anything about God? How do we know anything about God? Okay, and his answer basically it may not be a satisfying one. I don't know. It depends on your uh, 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 sense of these things. His answer is that uh, that there is uh, that you need an ontological presupposition. An ontological presupposition means um, uh, essentially an assumption, right? That you it's it's sort. I always think of it sort of like what um, that famous quote by uh, Einstein, right? There are two ways of uh, of uh, of living or two ways of experiencing the world. One is as if nothing is a miracle and one is as if everything is a miracle, right? It's sort of an orientation that you have to the world. That's the ontological presupposition. Essentially, there's no way to uh, prove or disprove God from logical argumentation. So the, so the choice you have is to live in the world as if God exists and orient yourself and approach the world as if God exists or to orient yourself and approach the world as if God doesn't exist. You, you can't live in the world uh, in, in the middle. You have to make one choice or another, right? Which is, I think, a fair point that a lot of people who claim to be agnostic, which, which purports to be somewhere in the middle, actually live in this camp, right? That uh, approaching the world as if God doesn't exist, right? Most people who claim to be agnostic don't live in the world in the other camp in which they assume that God exists, right? Until proven otherwise. Um, so that's, the, that's what he means by an ontological presupposition, right? Because God is ultimately a mystery, you have a choice. You can live in the world as if God exists, or you can live in the world as if God doesn't exist. Um, and the meaning and verification of the ontological presupposition are, in, are attained in, mom, in rare moments of insight, right? In other words, there are going to, if you have the ontological presupposition, if you live in the world as if God exists, there will be moments... They might be rare, but there will be moments where you'll uh, uh, connect with that reality. You'll, you'll, you'll feel God existing or you'll 
become aware of something about God that you wouldn't have understood or experienced otherwise. Questions, comments so far? Okay. Uh, Gail, you did so well. Can you just read a little bit more? The Encounter with the Unknown. Um, it is the mystery that evokes our religious concern, and it is the mystery where religious thinking must begin. The way of thinking about God in traditional speculation has been via eminente, a way of proceeding from the known to the unknown. Our starting point is not the known, the infinite, the order, but the unknown within the known, the infinite with the infinite, with the finite, the mystery within the order. Wow. Right. So, uh, so he says that uh, the, the, the essence of religion, right, the essence of religion is uh, the mystery of being, right? The mystery is, what is, is where religion starts from, right? That, there, that there's aspects of reality that we, that we don't know about, right? There, there, there are things that we can't explain. Um, so... Usually, philosophy tries to uh, uh, approach God uh, from the known to the unknown, right? Think back to Samson Raphael Hirsch, who said you can understand God through observing the harmony of creation, right? And what he's saying, what Heschel's saying, is that that's actually not a way of knowing God, because you can't deduce the unknown from the known. The only thing you can do, the way, way he would agree with Hirsch, is that you can look at the harmony of the world and presume that there is something beyond that harmony enabling all that harmony to exist. We just don't know what that is. Right? That's what he means by the unknown within the known. Right? So, and again, it's the ontological presupposition. The only way you would start to think about that is if you started with the assumption that there is something within that mystery, right? That there is the, the presence of an other uh, or the presence of the divine within the world, right? That's what he means by you have to start with the unknown within the known, the mystery within the order. What's that? Yeah, keep, keep on going. All, all, yeah. Thinking comes out of an encounter with the unknown. We do not embark upon an investigation of what is definitely known unless we suddenly discover that what we have long regarded as known is actually an enigma. Thus the mind must stand beyond its shell of knowledge in order to sense that which drives us toward knowledge. It is when we begin to comprehend or to assimilate and to adjust reality to our thought that the mind returns to its shell. Indeed, knowledge does not come into being only as the fruit of thinking. Only an extreme rationalist or solipsist would claim that knowledge is produced exclusively through the combination of concepts. Any genuine encounter with reality is an encounter with the unknown, is an intuition in which an awareness of the subject is one, a rudimentary preconceptual knowledge. Indeed, no object is truly known unless it was first experienced in its unknownness. How would you know? How would you know? So can you, can you say more about, can you? Well, I mean, it says no object is truly known unless it was first experienced in its unknownness. How would you know you're experiencing it if it's unknown? Right. Anybody have thoughts about that? 
It's like I used to tell my students, when you get a new textbook, don't open it up in the middle of the book and look at it, because all that is unknown. Mm. But as you proceed page by page, the middle of the book becomes knowable. Good. Okay. So, um, so the, the only way to really know the textbook is to recognize that there are aspects of it that you don't yet know. Yes. Right. Um, yeah. So I think that that's, I think that that's uh, along the lines of what, what he's trying to say here, right? That, uh, uh, that, that the only way to experience reality in its fullness is to recognize that there are aspects of it that we, that we don't know. Right. And so the, um, uh, uh, if 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 I, it's actually probably easiest if I if I um, use a human being as an example, right? So the um, I I can't know you if I presume that all I'm looking at here and the content of our conversation is all there is to know about you, right? There's so much more about you that I don't know, right? And I and and so there's no way of knowing. It prevents my knowing you, right? If I um, if if I if I say that uh, that that you know all there is is what meets the eye. I think that's I, what I think. Yeah. It is a fact of pro profound significance that we sense more than we can say. When we stand face to face with the grandeur of the world, any formulation of thought appears as an anticlimax. It is the awareness that the mystery which we face is incomparably deeper than what we know that all creative thinking begins. Preconceptual thinking. The encounter with reality does not take place on the level of concepts through the channels of logical categories. Concepts are second thoughts. All conceptualization, conceptualization is sim symbolization it, an act of accommodation of reality to the human mind. Right. So, here, I mean, think about what he's saying for a second, okay? That, that, that reality is fundamentally unknowable. At least there's an unknowable dimension of, of all reality. There's more to, uh, to, to reality than we can possibly put into words. And so what we do is we experience everything that is. We're amazed by it. It's so mysterious. And we try to put it in logical boxes. And then we try to put labels on those logical boxes, right? So, you know, I see an apple. And, and, uh, and there's actually much more to that apple than uh, what I see and experience, even taste of that apple, right? There's, I mean... Even from the scientific point of view, there's more of the apple than I intuit, right? There's, 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 there's cells and all sorts of things, right? So, um, uh, but in my head, I say, okay, you know, red, shiny, round, apple, right? And that logical category and the label on it only captures a, a, a dimension of the reality of that apple, right? And so part of what he's saying is that we try to understand God, but the moment we try to conceptualize God and place God in logical categories and then place language around those categories, we all, we, we, we inevitably lose aspects of the reality of God, right? So there's more to God than we can possibly express or understand at any given time. Yeah. But this to me also supports the premise why individuals experience God in so many different sure. ways. Right. Um, and so what it is to me is not the same to somebody else. 
Right. And it's okay. Right. Okay. The living encounter with reality takes yes. Yeah, you're good. Uh, on um, takes places on a level that precedes conceptualization, on a level that is responsive, immediate, preconceptual, and pre-symbolic. Theory, speculation, generalization, and hypothesis are efforts to clarify and to validate the insights which preconceptual experience provides. To suppose that knowledge comes upon the scene only as the fruit of reflection that is generated in and through the symbols and sign manipulations is in principle to revert to that very idol of sheer rationalism against which the whole vigorous movement of modern empiricism has lodged such effective and necessary protest. All insight stands between two realms, the realm of objective reality and the realm of conceptual and verbal cognition. Conceptual cognition must stand the test of a double reference of the reference to our system of concepts and the reference to the insights from which it is derived. Right, so there's a, there's a chasm between reality and how we think about and how we talk about reality. Right? So our experience is always greater than our ability to verbalize that experience or even think about that experience. That's, the, that's sort of the, the premise of phenomenology, right? The phenomena are real, our ability to categorize those phenomena are limited. Particularly in religious and artistic thinking, the disparity between that which we encounter and that which is expressed in words and symbols, no words and symbols can adequately convey. In our religious situation, we do not comprehend the transcendent. We are present at it, we witness it. Whatever we know is inadequate, whatever we say is an understatement. We have an awareness that is deeper than our concepts. We possess <coughs> insights that are not accessible to the power of expression. Knowledge <coughs> is not the same as awareness, and expression is not the same as experience. By proceeding from awareness to knowledge, we gain in clarity and lose in immediacy. What we gain in distinctness by going from experience to expression, we lose in genuineness. The difference becomes a divergence when our preconceptual insights are lost in our conceptualizations, when the encounter with the ineffable is forfeited in our symbolizations, when the dogmatic formulation becomes more important than the religious situation. Right. I, I just want to point out from this, right, he uses that word ineffable, and, uh, and uh, that's a very Heschelian uh, word to use. Uh, but he takes that from the fact that, uh, that the name we give to God, we don't actually pronounce. And we believe we don't know how to pronounce it. And so scholars call that the ineffable name of God, the, the name that we can't even pronounce, that we can't even say. In other words, our tradition is, is, is uh, uh, suggesting to us, I think, precisely what Heschel's saying here, that, um, that, that there's, a, there's a reality of God that, that, that transcends our ability to talk about God, to conceptualize God. Um, and any act of conceptualization is itself idolatry, right? Calling God by an identifiable name, right, limits God to a particular box, and God is beyond that box, which is also why uh, um, the, uh, the, the third commandment is not to make idols, 
right? Um, we, don't, we don't limit God. It's not a question of the whole idea of one, of one God, you can't make a statue. It's not because God doesn't like statues, right? It's that, it's that what you're doing is you are saying that this dimension of the divine um, is the totality of the divine. It's, a, it's, a, it's in some ways, it's, it's control and it's understanding, right? It's, it's saying that, um, that uh, knowledge and expression right, is uh, tantamount to our awareness and our experience, right? But what the tradition says is that experience of God is bigger than our ability to express it. But how does this jive with so much of the, of the teachings that said God did this in response to this situation? God looked at this and was unhappy. It's giving such concrete human responses and so much thing as God was angry or God looked upon this or God felt this is this inconsistent with what he's saying because in a sense we're categorizing we, you can play, play the rationals well I'm not talking by his name right. you're describing personality right so I think that there are two possible answers to that question. I'm not positive which one Heschel would give. I, I think I know, but I'm not positive. So, uh, so one possible answer, and this is based on something that Heschel says, and we'll see it in another, actually you'll see it in just a moment, where he says religion is the response to the mystery. In other words, um, there are these, you know, th these um, moments of insight, this awareness we have of, of, of the mystery, and we try to place it into logical categories, but there's always some loss in the translation of one to the other, but it's a necessary translation. Like we, can't, we have to communicate with each other about this mystery, so uh, we'll recognize the limitations of it. We just need to remember not to, um, uh, not, not to forget that there's a mystery beyond the expression of it, right? Which he's, he, that's what he means by saying religion became insipid, dull, irrelevant, and oppressive, is that religion has had forgotten the mystery that was behind it and fixated on the expression of that mystery. So I think what he, what he would say is that we, we, uh, God is described in those ways in, in the Torah and other places in, in um, Jewish sacred literature because that's the best way we have to express that mystery. It's the closest approximation we can possibly get as humans. I think that's what he would say. It's also possible he would say something like Maimonides says, which is that, um, uh, which is that God wanted to communicate dimensions of God's self to humanity uh, to teach us how to live, uh, and uh, and and human beings have uh, uh, limited awareness, right, limited ability to uh, understand things, and so God phrased it in language that humans could understand, right. So God didn't actually get angry. Right? It's just that God didn't not get angry, right? Um, so, uh, but, uh, and so I think Maimonides would say a similar thing that Heschel says is like, don't lose the, don't, uh, lose the sense that there is a mystery beyond what the text is saying, right? That the text only gives you sort of a dimension of reality. But so much of how religion is practiced is this analysis of don't, don't boil uh, a kid in its mother's milk. These are concretes. Yeah. Beyond human reality, this is these are like very definite things you have to do, and a tremendous amount of ritual has come out of this. Right. This is, you're, but in a sense, you're saying you know God under this circumstance because you're doing what He told you to do. 
<clears throat> well, so I, I guess I, I hear what you're saying, and I think he'll he'll address that in in a few moments. But I guess an answer, one answer that I would give to that is um, you have to uh, uh, you have to make decisions and you have to live, right? So I don't because uh, it would be um, it would be a uh, rejection of what is known to be able to say that uh, that that the the goal of of human life is to not do anything at all. Uh, because we can't know, you know, everything, right? So, uh, so I think what he what he's saying is that um, that uh, that we we engage in actions in the world that open up our awareness as best as we can, right? That enable us to see uh, and experience the 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 transcendent element in all in in all of being, and sacred deeds like that enable us to do that. Um, so you, so we, we experience the, the immaterial within the material. I understand that, but one of the criticisms that people tend to have of people who are very strict in their observance is you're missing the um, kind and decent aspects in your, in your commitment to the detail. Right. I think what Heschel would say is that he would, I think Heschel would reject the, uh, the either or proposition there. Um, that, uh, that he would say, certainly, uh, if a person, if all a person does is a, uh, a, a, a strict observance of ritual uh, and uh, uh, ignores the, the soul of what that ritual is trying to uh, point us to, uh, then, then one has made an idol out of the ritual. I think Heschel would agree with that. On the other hand, I think what Heschel would also say is that the people who tend to make that argument are actually uh, actually tend to be morally and spiritually sloppy themselves, right? And I think that the the it's pretty condescending. It's well, the, I would say the same thing about people who who are punctilious too. And what I'm what I mean by that is um, that the that. Uh, that that having a uh, disciplined way of living, the goal of it is to have uh, um, uh, regular moments when we can intimate the divine within reality, and I think that that my my this is painting with a very broad brush, but my 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 experience of people who say things like say I'm spiritual but not religious um, is that. Uh, by by taking uh, uh, religious practice out of the equation, they actually aren't particularly spiritual either. I've had a problem with that. Uh-huh. I, I like your explanation. Yeah. I, I have a problem with situations. I mean, I, I know you want to get into, I know it's a digression, excluding what counting women from the from 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 have, but participating in the service right. and counting toward a minion. Right. It's, it's offensive. Right. So I and this is uh, the moral aspect of participation and commitment to what you're doing. So I, I, I agree with that. I'm not so I'm not sure how Heschel would have responded to that particular issue, but I can say in the spirit of Heschel, what he would say is um, if that uh, again, if, if if one's observance of the law distracts one from the moral message of the law, 
then one has made an idol out of the law, and it's no different than making a statue and worshiping at it. Right, so I, I, I don't think you would disagree with that statement. I'll buy that as yeah. an explanation. Yeah. 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 Now, I, I think that that might be a little bit, you know, I, if I had, if I, I don't want to make, create straw men, right? So if I, if, and I realize I just did that with people who are spiritual but not religious, but, like, but, um, but, but if I had, say, Rabbi Asher next to me, I think it would be an interesting conversation about that issue. I don't think he sees it that way. Um, and, I, and I think that there are actually plenty of women in the, in the Orthodox world who don't see it that way, who don't see it as oppressive, right? So, so there, that's also relevant data. But yeah. they don't see it that way, perhaps because that's, their belief. That's what they have come up with. That's what they've been schooled in. Not necessarily. That's what they've been brought up to believe. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's if they agree with that. It's my right to think that it's wrong. Right, correct. Well, I mean, listen, you know, this is a... And and not to be... Yeah, certainly you're right to think that it's wrong. Spirituality is less, or that I'm missing, you know, that I'm misguided. I, I, so I think that you said, yeah, so I think, and I also want to be clear about what I said, um, because uh, I I, I was not saying, because maybe I misunderstood what your question was. I didn't understand your question being, um, uh, what do you do with non orthodox approaches to Judaism? Um, but in a sense, I'm asking. This, this is very flowery language. Sometimes reality is... Right. How can you do this and still call this a moral, a moral act? I know it's what you do and how you do it, but there's a basic immorality in my thinking toward that kind of behavior. Well, but let's see, that's your thinking and that's my thinking, but that's not his orthodox thinking. I, I believe he has the right to think that way, but I don't have the right to say it's not right. Right, and so you have the right to choose where you choose to pray, the traditions you choose to follow, like I do, which seems to be in tune with yours. Um, And the Orthodox who feel that way do their thing. Um, I think there's no, again, going back to what I said before, Mm -hmm. there's no right and wrong, and nobody's way is the correct way. Right. You know, it's what meets your needs and how you perceive God and how you feel um, you want to live your life. I understand that. I know, but we can't but tell the, them that but, but theirs is wrong. For someone in, under that circumstance to say that my way of looking at it is like lazy or sloppy or... Uh, so uh, so uh, I, 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 that, that's not... I wasn't referring to this issue when I was when I when I made that statement. What I what I meant by that statement was specifically about people who uh, who who say for uh, for lack of a better term that they're spiritual but not religious. Okay, people who who have um, have uh, no um, uh, appreciation for the discipline of religious living um, that doesn't. The, the actual content of that religious living is not what I'm talking about, nor am I talking about the approach to the content of that religious living. What I'm saying is that people who say, you know, I'm spiritual but not religious, tend to be people who, uh, who, um, who uh, reject uh, forms of religious life, right? And, my, uh, and my, my experience with people in that category um, are not particularly spiritual either. 
right? The, the, in other words, I think that the, that the religious piece, and this is what he gets to um, uh, in the next few paragraphs, the, the religion is a container for the spirituality, right? It's a way of experiencing spirituality. Uh, and so that's what, I, that's what I meant by that, not necessarily uh, a, a particular approach or understanding or, I mean, listen, I, uh, uh, it's not sloppy because I agree with you, right? And I, you know, so, um, this, so I wasn't talking about that when I said that. Um, and so maybe we were having a miscommunication about the, yeah. Well, no, but it just feels like we were having a miscommunication about what your question was. The question yeah. is, intellectual approach which doesn't realize that a significant portion to a lot of people is the spiritual approach and the ritual is part of the process it isn't the goal right I, I, I think he would agree with I think Heschel would, would say exactly that he would say that the ritual is not the goal but he would say I think that uh, if you were to get rid of the ritual altogether, oh. right, that's, then that's sort of what I meant, yeah. Yeah, that You're was going to yeah. say, then how can you have, then how can you sort of have a religion if it doesn't have specific tenets, you know what I mean? And, but then does that make you a, a bad person if you don't follow the tenets, is that what you're saying, sort of? No, no I, I object to the loss of the, of the, Basic, you know, the basic moral, and included in that is condescension about other ways of practicing. I, I have difficulty with that too. Uh, so I think Heschel would agree with you about all of that. Uh, you know, I, 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 I think what he's what he's saying here is that um, is that religion is an attempt to uh, place human categories and language on what is inherently un categorizable and ineffable, right? Now, we are human beings, so we live in the world of, of categories and expression and language, so we have to do that to a certain degree. But, but I, I, I think he would agree with you 100% that, um, that, that the spirit um, uh, behind those categories and that language is, is what is of ultimate importance to religion. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah, I agree with you. And uh, I'm sorry if I came across as condescending about it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, when you refer to the concept of the people, I was really interested in, in listening to all this because my father did not believe in ritual. Mm -hmm. um, he wore a yarmulke when he went home. Uh, he didn't care whether my mother kept kosher or not. He worked on Shabbos. Um, when his father passed away, he was one of eight children. He provided half of my grandmother's upkeep. Uh, he gave to charity. He helped people. He uh, he was he didn't lie. He I mean, all of the morals and the ethics yeah. were observed. I mean, we knew we were Jewish. But he was also a denier, and that was the, in fact, um, what's his name? Well, the one from Harvard wrote about it, you know, shh, don't say. I was not supposed to wear a, Jew, a Jewish star. I was not, my, my maiden name was Spitzer, it's German, it's not Jewish. Mm -hmm. And he's coming out of a time of a lot of anti-Semitism. But people ask me, was he, you know, 
a religious Jew? And I have to say yes. So ritual versus spiritual. Well, I think that, the, that, we're, that we're also introducing a third category here, which is moral, right? And I, and, um, I, I, don't th- I, I certainly wouldn't, ha- I don't think Heschel would make an argument that one, needed, one needs to be a scrupulous observer of ritual in order to be moral, right? Uh, and one needs to be moral in order to be a scrupulous observer of ritual. Um, I think what he would argue is that, uh, that, that, uh, the the objective of ritual is to be a, a vessel for for uh, moral ideals, um, uh, but uh, but but I'm sure he certainly knew people who were who were very scrupulous in their observance of ritual who were not moral people. Uh, but I was but but we, you know I was, but I think that there there are three categories there is spirit there's spirituality I guess I don't even think he doesn't he never really uses the term spirituality he talks about mystery. Right, um, awareness of uh, of of the transcendent, um, awe and wonder at the world. Right, so that's what he means by. But what he would say is that that right. So what he would what what he would say is that ritual is meant to uh, make us more sensitive to uh, to that mystery.